Our scripture lesson today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. But we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. During my second year of seminary, I did an internship at a beautiful white clapboard church perched on the town green of an idyllic New England village. I was 23 and still nervous a bit about leading worship. One Sunday, I was asked to give the invitation to the offering. I prepared well. And then I stood up and I shared a pithy quote about giving until it hurts. As soon as the service was over, the senior pastor pulled me aside. He reprimanded me with terse and direct words. We do not ask people to give until it hurts. We ask people to give until it brings joy. And so I began to see that the motivation for giving matters. Why do we give? Is it to sacrifice or to love? Sometimes we give with mixed motives. When I first arrived on the church staff in 1988, I was fresh out of graduate school. I carried significant student debt. I had signed my first loan to purchase my first car. I rented a small apartment with a perfect view of the dumpster. I had no television, and my only furniture came from my great-grandmother's house or from secondhand stores. About this time, the chairperson of the church elders came to our staff meeting here at the church to give all of us a pep talk on our giving. I remember squirming in my seat. I remember how terribly uncomfortable I felt as he talked. As a result of the pep talk, I began giving $10 a month to the church. It wasn't much, and I gave it because I knew I should, and not so much because it brought me joy. 
I don't know if you could say that it hurt, but it didn't feel great. Anyone who has spent time around a child has noticed how purely loving they can be when it comes to the art of giving. I remember when our son was about 11 and we took him one afternoon to a Royals baseball game. And for some reason that day, Connor had $50 in his pocket. And I don't remember why, was it birthday money or maybe he had had a lemonade stand? I don't know, but he was feeling flush. And after a couple of innings, he insisted on going to the gift shop. He looked around at everything in the store, checking the prices, and then finally he made his selection. It was a $49 item, but it wasn't for him. He wanted to buy it for a family friend who had just turned three years old. And I looked at him and I, I tried to talk him out of it. I said, it's too expensive. It would be all of your money gone in a flash. And I knew that that three-year-old wasn't going to really appreciate this huge sacrifice. But Connor persisted. Mom, he said, I know he'll really love it. And then I remember thinking that it was foolish of me to try to reason him out of this loving gesture. I should be learning from him instead of him learning from me. What mattered was not the size of the gift, what mattered was the love behind the gift. When Paul writes his famous love chapter to the church in Corinth, he writes to a church that is in turmoil and conflict. If you look back at the early church and you idealize them as the best of Christians, then really you should go and read the book of Corinthians and you'll be surprised. The bickering inside the church has already begun. In Corinth, they fight about who it is that is the most spiritual. They debate what makes a person really spiritual. Some of them are really good at prayer, a special type of prayer, a way of talking to God that they called speaking in tongues or ecstatic speech. And some of them are incredibly generous at reaching out to the poor. And some members of that church are great at speaking out about God's work in the world using a spiritual gift that they called prophecy. But Paul tells them that what matters is not how many spiritual gifts they have, but how they will use their gifts. Paul writes, I will show you a more excellent way. The way you are to use your gift of generosity or prayer or whatever it is, is to express love. That's the purpose of your gift. Paul is not teaching them about some kind of syrupy, sentimental, romantic love. He's teaching them about rigorous love, the kind of love that unfolds inside a community of folks who hold different opinions, different political views, different spiritual awareness. Paul tells them their gifts are absolutely futile if they are not used for love. The purpose of the church is not to be spiritual. The purpose of the church is to form each of us into people who are more loving. If you have been a part of a church for very long, even for a hot minute, you have probably seen a church fight that does not resemble the love that Paul is describing. 
If you're part of a family, you're probably familiar with how our deeply held beliefs can divide us. If you live in the United States of America, you know that today we are more polarized than ever before in our lifetimes. Paul's words are needed today by all of us. He says, I will show you a more excellent way, the way of love. Without love, the Christian faith, it's a noisy gong. It's a clanging symbol. Country Club Christian Church taught me that love is the purpose of all our giving. When I was a young pastor, about 32 years old, I took my first sabbatical. Dave and I were newlyweds, and I was expecting our first child. It was kind of a crazy idea that I had, but I decided that I wanted to visit a Christian monastery in France called Tizé. I had never been to Europe, and I would be traveling on a shoestring budget, staying in hostels and with friends. And just a couple of weeks before I left, I received in the mail the most beautiful handwritten note from a woman in the church named Marion Cooper. I barely knew her, but I was so lifted up by her words of love and support in that note. And in it, she enclosed a check for $50 for my trip. I was profoundly moved by her lavish generosity, but even more so by her love for a young female pastor embarking on a crazy spiritual journey. A few years ago, my husband Dave was hiking in Rocky Mountain National Park with a group from our church at the annual Christian community camp. The hike was about 18 miles long and the day was cold and windy and we were all wishing that this hike would just end. And then Dave slipped on some gravel and tore his quadricep. We still had four steep downhill miles to go and there was no park ranger or emergency button in sight. Dave could not bear weight on the injured leg, and our hiking buddies from the church draped Dave's arms around their necks and carried him down the mountain. Love carried him to safety, and that's why we have the church, because all of us need at one time or the other in our lives to be carried by the love of others. When our, our daughter was still living in Chicago, she experienced a life-threatening medical emergency. She and her husband had only been married for two months, and now she was in the intensive care unit. And our senior minister, Glenn Miles, had officiated at their wedding. And Glenn picked up the phone and called my daughter's husband to share his prayers and his concern, and that meant the world to me to know that the love of God was cradling them in that fragile moment, to know that love was not an abstract concept, but the stretched out hand of a phone call and the voice of one who called only out of love. Paul challenges the church to reveal the character of God's love. In another part, he writes, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He sees that the church is a flawed group of human beings. They do not always behave with love towards one another. Their behavior can be rude and arrogant. 
But then Paul points to a love that is beyond their own human, fragile, and broken love. The love of God. Paul writes, love never ends. Now, in our human experience, we know love does end. Divorces happen. People fall out of love. People leave the church or even depart from their faith. Friends drift apart. Families squabble. Business partners sue one another. Love does end. But Paul talks about a love that is beyond our own human love. The love of God never ends. When World War II ended in 1945, our congregation was just a few months shy of celebrating its 25th anniversary. The church then was filled with young people returning from the front lines and eager to forget the past and move forward into the bright future. But who could forget the horror of Pearl Harbor, the raw memory of muddy trenches and repressive regimes and hate-filled dictators lingered. The fear of the stranger was so great that during World War II, Japanese Americans were sent to internment camps here in our own country. But in the midst of that fear and sorrow, members of this congregation raised money to bring Hideo Oki from Japan to study theology and ministry in the United States. They paid his tuition and living expenses for three years, and he and his wife became beloved by our congregation. In our soon-to-be-released history book, Dr. Lena Place writes, it was an ambitious act of reconciliation towards citizens of a former enemy. Dr. Oiku returned home with a PhD and he became a leading Christian theologian in Japan for the next 50 years. I, I know that he got a good education in the United States but I can't help but think that it was the love that he experienced here that shaped him into a vessel of God's goodness and grace as he returned to his homeland. None of us much remember him now. I myself had never heard of him until one day back in the mid-90s when a Japanese couple appeared in the hallways of the church. I think it was his grandchildren, or maybe it was his children. I, I can't exactly remember, but what I do remember was the look in their eyes. Their eyes sparkled with awe and wonder, and what I saw in their eyes was love. Not human love. Divine love. The love that lasts. The love that outlasts all of us. The love that some folks in 1948 sent into the future by loving their enemy. Paul writes about the future of the church and about the future of all creation. He describes that realm beyond which any of us can imagine or see right now. So much of what we now value, it will pass away. Our spiritual gifts of prophecy and prayer and knowledge, it will all pass away. What we build today will pass away. And we've been talking about, should we build it with glass? 
Should we use geothermal? Should we add solar panels? Should we upgrade the kitchen? Add some children's classrooms? Install another elevator? Paul then offers us some guidance. The guidance that he gave to the church 2,000 years ago. He says, build it with love. Picture that what you are doing will crumble and decay. But know that the love you pour into this project, this future, this church, this community, that love will last forever. It cannot end because love is of God and God's love never ends. George Hamilton Combs said it best back when he was our very first pastor. His words are etched on our chapel wall. What we begin, others who come after will complete. The good is like the building of cathedrals. Only through faith can those who lay the foundation stones hear bells ringing in unraised steeples. <laughs>